Well, good morning, everybody. My name is John. I'm the lead pastor, and I'm so glad that you're able to be with us this morning. Uh, fun little, like, insider tip. Uh, some of you might remember, like, a year ago or so, uh, we met at a different location. We, we used to get to meet at a location. We met at the Elks Lodge, and uh, we had air conditioning in that building. And so I would frequently, even when it was cold outside, I would turn on the air conditioner because I just, I like things to be cold. And so now it's actually pretty wonderful because to help, like for COVID safety, we have all the doors open right now. And so uh, I'm looking out on like the, the few people that are helping out with the service today, and like they're all in coats and bundled up, uh, but I feel great. So just wanted to kind of get that out there. Uh, so I, I'm super excited for today. Uh, we are going to be looking at what is one of my favorite and definitely one of the most important pieces of Scripture uh, for me uh, personally. Uh, and the reason why this has been so big is that one of my favorite groups of people uh, are who I would consider to be skeptics. Uh, and uh, for me, uh, friends, family that I know, uh, I would put skeptics into two different categories of people that I I'm close to anyways. Uh, I have some of my friends, family members, uh, and they're in the category of skeptics, but they've, they've never really, they've never been Christians before. Uh, maybe they weren't raised in the church. Uh, um, some of them really don't know much about Jesus or the Bible at all. Uh, some of them have researched quite a bit, actually, uh, but they would not consider themselves a Christian. They've never considered themselves to be a Christian. Uh, but for whatever reason, based off of the research they've done or just what they've looked at, when they look at the claims of Christianity, they would consider themselves to be skeptics. Uh, and some of them, it's a very scientific thing, uh, or maybe it's a historical thing, that they just like, it's something to do usually with supernatural, of like, I just, I can't get my head around this idea that these supernatural things actually happen. And I just, I, I just can't go there intellectually. Uh, or for others of them, it's not so much a historical or like scientific skepticism. It's because of a personal experience they've had. Uh, often it's because they, they've known a Christian in their life. Uh, maybe they have a Christian in their family or they worked with a Christian uh, or maybe they were married to a Christian. And like that person who represented Christianity to them, they saw it as like so toxic, as so hypocritical, as so judgmental, as so narrow-minded that they thought if, if that's what it looks like to become a Christian, then I'm not interested. Uh, I, I, I am out. And then there's other friends, family members that I have, and they're skeptics. But they like, they either, they are, they are Christians still, or maybe they used to be Christians, but at least at one point in their life, they, maybe they grew up in the church and they were Christians. Uh, and maybe early in their life, you know, when they were kids, uh, they were taught that, you know, God made the sun stand still and that, you know, Jonah lived in a whale and that Jesus was born of a virgin. And when they were kids, they just kind of went with it because when you're a kid, you believe almost anything. But now that they've gone through life a little bit, they like, they have questions, and they have doubts, and they're just not sure like how they reconcile all that, you know, with like what they know intellectually to what they were taught they were supposed to believe as kids or as teenagers or college kids whenever they believed it. Uh, or some of them, uh, for them, it was an experience too. Uh, for some of them, uh, they like, they were in church and like maybe, maybe like their sister, uh, this is one of my friends, got pregnant, and, and, the, and the sister wasn't, wasn't married yet, and so instead of like the church like gathering around their sister and loving her and helping her out, instead they like accused her and judged her and they really kind of made them leave the church. And that experience was so detrimental to them. They're like, I just don't want anything to do with that anymore. 
Uh, or I have another friend, and for them, they, they, they grew up believing in prayer, and they believe that when you have a problem, you're supposed to pray. And so they had a really big problem in their life, and it, I mean, it made so much sense. Like, of course God's going to answer this prayer. I mean, how would God not do this? You know, how would God not do this for my grandma? How would God not do this for my family? How would God, you know, if there's a loving God, of course he would answer this prayer. But then God, at least as they saw it, didn't answer the prayer. And so now they have questions. And now they have doubts. And they're wondering what they do with the whole deal. And I say, I, I, I love talking to those groups of people. And I have friends and family members, like I said, that are on both those sides. And they're some of my favorite people to talk to and have conversations with. And part of the reason is, is because I can really relate. Uh, and I hope this isn't like too off-putting and hopefully you don't, you know, turn off your computer or your TV, however you're watching. Uh, but I can relate because I still have a lot of doubts. I have questions. And some of them are based off of science and history and rational, you know, trying to figure all that out in my own mind. And some of it is based off of some bad experiences that I've had. And so when I talk to doubters, like, I, I love the honesty in that conversation. It's something I really, really love. And so one of the things that I've done a handful of times, actually, in my life is I've gone to some of these family members and these friends. And I said, I would love to, like, let's really do a dialogue about this. Uh, because one of the things that I'm very passionate about is that I really want to know, not just, I don't want to just be a skeptic. I want the truth. I want to know, is this really true? I don't want to just believe because, like, my parents told me it was true. I don't want to believe just because, like, I grew up in a Christian nation. Uh, I don't want to believe just because, like, it's my job and it's, like, my tradition. I want to know, is this actually true or not? Uh, so a couple times I've gone to friends, family, and said, like, let's, let's really research. And so what we'll usually do is we'll— it, it, uh, get into some sort of like a, a book exchange or sometimes like a podcast exchange and like they'll give me a book you know to read and I'll read that and usually it's more from like a you know atheistic or you know questioning standpoint and then I'll give them a book uh, that's been helpful for me and we'll just kind of go back and forth uh, and through the process of that uh, I've loved it uh, I, I've I've read and, and listened to all kinds of things that are on like the, the liberal end of things, and I've read a lot of things on the conservative end of things. Uh, I've read, I think, almost all of what they call the new atheist books. Uh, so some of you might have read those, like Sam Hawkins and uh, Richard Dawkins and, you know, some of those guys. I've read almost all of those because I really want to know, is this true or not? Because for me, this isn't just, and probably for a lot of you too, this isn't just like an intellectual belief. It's not just like, oh, I, I could believe in Christianity or I could not believe in Christianity. You know, one way or the other is fine. Like, I've literally, like, based my life on this. Uh, not just, like, I've based my career on this, but, like, I, the way in which, like, we do our marriage, the way in which we spend our money, and especially the way we give money, the way in which we're raising our kids. Like, my whole, like, lifestyle is built around what I believe to be true. And so if someone can prove to me, if there's a book out there, if there's some study that shows that the whole thing's a hoax, you know, if it's all fake news, uh, if a bunch of guys just got together in a back smoky room somewhere and they wrote all this down and they made it up and it's like the world's biggest conspiracy, I really, really want to know. Uh, and so that's kind of like the starting point for where we're going today. Uh, so we're going to look at a, a text of scripture uh, from 1 Corinthians. And if you've been with us, We've been going through 1 Corinthians for the last, 
and I think we started in June, so it's been months now, uh, going very slowly through the book, and we're finally almost to the end of 1 Corinthians, and Paul is going to give his last kind of summary, uh, and it's really looking at this idea of, Paul would say, if you're thinking about becoming a Christian, uh, or maybe before you leave the door and leave your faith, if you have questions, if you have doubts, Paul says that what it really all comes down to is one question, that there's one thing, there's one event, that if this is true, then it's worth considering becoming a Christian. It's worth putting your faith in, that everything else in the Christian faith is game on if this one thing is true. But on the other hand, if this one thing can be proven false, if this one thing can be proven to be a hoax, then we should be done. Uh, We should pack up, no more reason to read your Bible, no more reason to pray, no more reason to do church online. Uh, I should, you know, quit my job and, you know, uh, you know, finally become quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys, you know, whatever. I, I, we should all just move on if you could prove that this whole thing is false. Uh, so here's what Paul's going to say when 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15. He says, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you. Uh, and so, Paul was a real guy 2,000 years ago, and he literally went to this town called Corinth uh, where no one had ever heard the name of Jesus. Nobody was a Christian, and Paul started preaching to them, and when he preached to them, a lot of people 2,000 years ago who had never heard of Jesus uh, weren't, you know, some of them were Jewish, some of them weren't Jewish, some of them were worshiping pagan gods, some of them were worshiping in the Jewish religion, but something that that Paul presented to them made them say, all right, I'm in. Uh, I'm I'm interested now in becoming a Christian. And what he presented to them was what he calls the gospel. Uh, And the gospel, uh, now it's kind of a religious word, but back then it wasn't a religious word at all. It was just a word. It was a Greek word that meant good news. Uh, And there was lots of good news, you know. So, I mean, if a, a courier came into a town after a war, a battle had been won, then he was bringing good news. Uh, If, you know, a building was completed, then it was good news. If a baby was born, it was just good news. And so that's what Paul is going to say is, what I preached to you was not, you know, an idea. It wasn't a teaching. What I presented to you was news. Uh, And that's incredibly important if you're a skeptic or if you know a skeptic, to know what the basis of Christianity, it's not a teaching, it's an event. Uh, So here's what N.T. Wright N.T. Wright is a, a British thinker and a writer, really, really smart. Uh, he says, uh, but at its very heart, uh, sorry, go back one, I think. Was there a slide before that? There we go. Christianity, you see, isn't a set of ideas. Uh, it isn't a path of spirituality. It isn't a rule of life, and it isn't a political agenda. Aren't we all glad? Uh, but on the other hand, It includes and indeed gives energy to all those things. Uh, That's true. But at its very heart, it is something different. It is good news about an event which has happened in the world. Uh, What made people 2,000 years ago listen to Paul, and when he presented, they said, whoa, that's kind of a big deal. And if that's true, then that might mean that I would, be, I would be interested in becoming a Christian. It wasn't a philosophy. It wasn't an agenda. It was uh, an event. Uh, and so Paul goes on. He says, I want to remind you of this gospel that I preached to you, which you received, 
and on which you have taken your stand. Uh, and so again, for, for them, like me, like maybe some of you, uh, they not only believed in this event, but they like put their, like, their lives into it. Uh, the, the idea of uh, take your stand on it is the idea of like, I'm going to put my full weight on something. You know, that it's one thing for me to, you know, trust that this stage that Jared Ferguson built for us is sturdy. It's another thing for me to like put my whole weight on it. And Paul said that these people not only believed in the event that he's going to talk to them about, but they like structured their whole lives about it. Uh, they left the, the pagan temple that their families had been a part of for years, and they started this new thing. Uh, they started giving their money away that they, you know, they've always wanted to hold to themselves. Uh, a few weeks ago, we talked about the idea in Corinth that there was, you know, very set structure, you know? I mean, there was rich people and powerful people and usually men up at the top and down at the bottom. Uh, there was slaves and there was people of other cultures and people who didn't have as much. And, and now all of a sudden, Paul and Jesus is telling them they're supposed to change up the whole social structure. And you're supposed to like, if you have extra money, give that money away. If you've seen yourself as lower class, you're no longer supposed to see yourself. I mean, they've literally changed their whole worldview based off of what they believe happened in this event. They have taken their whole stand on this. And so, question is, what was it? What was this big event that happened that would make people in Corinth 2,000 years ago change their life? Uh, and here's what it is. It says that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried. Now, I stopped there for a reason. Because that's a part of it, but that's not the thing that when they heard it, they thought, you know what, that's amazing. Because that's really not that all that amazing. And that's really, especially not all that unique. I mean, lots of people died. Uh, I mean, lots of people have been buried. Uh, all of us, unfortunately, know people that have died before and know people that are buried. 2,000 years ago, everyone in Corinth would have known people that had died and buried. They would have, 2,000 years ago, they would have even known people that had been crucified before. And they would have even known people in Corinth and certainly in Jerusalem who had claimed crazy things like being the Son of God. That wasn't all that new. Here's the thing that made it brand new. Not only that he was buried, but that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. That was the thing when they heard, wait a minute, this guy died and was buried, but then three days later he actually rose from the dead. That is unique. Because here's what they knew 2,000 years ago. They, weren't, you know, they, they were educated people 2,000 years ago. Uh, they knew the same kind of things that we knew. They'd been to funerals before. And they knew that when dead people die— they traditionally stay dead. That's kind of the way it works. And so anyone who beats that system, that would be brand new. No one had ever seen that before. No one had ever seen someone who had been dead for multiple days and now all of a sudden was alive again, and that would change everything. Uh, and that's a huge deal in how we believe. We believe that that, it's kind of, that question of did Jesus actually raise from the dead or not, if you're a skeptic, if you have questions, that's really the thing that you need to answer. Uh, if you have a friend, a family member, and you're in conversation with them, that's the question that they need to answer. Because if Jesus actually raised from the dead, then everything else is game on. But if that whole thing was made up, then 
let's pack up shop and let's, let's leave because this whole thing is a waste of time. Uh, and, and here's why. It's because of what the resurrection proves. Uh, so another uh, 20th century uh, writer, his name was uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, famously uh, said this. He said, I- I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing, anybody said any foolish things, that people often say about him, meaning Jesus. That I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. And that's, I mean, that's super common, right? I mean, maybe some of you, that's exactly even where you're at. You're like, yeah, I, I like some of the stuff that Jesus said. I like some of the stuff that Jesus did. But the whole supernatural, the whole believing that he's God, that's the part I have a really tough time getting my arms around. And what C.S. Lewis is going to say, and what Paul says, is that you can't do that. It's impossible, it's intellectually fallible to say that I believe that Jesus was a great teacher, but he wasn't the Son of God. Uh, C.S. Lewis says that is the one thing we must not say. And the reason for that is because of what Jesus taught. Jesus regularly said things like, I am the Son of God. He regularly said things like, I have the ability to forgive sins. That someday, I'm going to build a house, and if you believe in me, you will live forever in heaven. That is, that's not good teaching. That's, that's crazy talk, unless you're actually the Son of God. Uh, there's a famous religious book that if you studied religion in college, if you're a skeptic, you might have read this book. It's by uh, a guy named uh, uh, Hostin Smith. There, there it is. Uh, Hostin Smith. Uh, it's called World Religions. It's very old book now. Uh, this is, I think, the, the 50th edition, of, 50th anniversary edition of it. If you took a philosophy class in college or religion, comparative religion class in college, you might have read this book. Uh, not a, a Christian uh, who wrote this. But he compares every major world religion, uh, because that's another kind of common belief, is that all religions at their element are really the same. They're all about becoming good people. And so one of the things that Houston uh, uh, says is that you can't say that. It's intellectually wrong to say that all religions are the same because they're fundamentally different. And in particular, he says uh, about religion, he says that in the history of the world, there's only been two human beings that lived such amazing lives. That, that the way in which they taught, the way in which they treated people, the way in which they acted, when other people saw it, it was so unique, it was so different, that when other people saw it, their question was not, who are you? Their question is, what are you? Like, you're, you're not acting like any human being. You're acting in a divine way. And those two people, uh, Houston says, was the Buddha and Jesus Christ. And it's very interesting when you look at their reactions to people looking at them and asking them this question. Because when people looked at the Buddha and said, like, what are you? You know what I mean? Are you a god? Should we worship you? The Buddha very clearly said, no, 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 no. Uh, I mean, look to my teachings, look to my ways, but like, I'm just a guy. Like, I, I'm just an idiot, just like all of you. I don't think the Buddha actually said that. I, I'm just a normal guy like all of you. Look to my teachings, look to my ways, but I am by no means divine. But Jesus, on the other hand, when they said, who are you? He readily said, I am God. I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. I have the power to forgive your sins. And that is crazy. Uh, I mean, if I 
stood in front of you guys this morning as you're watching on your screens. And I said, hey, guys, I, I've decided I'm going to make an announcement today. Uh, I appreciate you all tuning in for whatever reason the last couple weeks and hearing me teach about things. But today I want to make an announcement to you. I actually am the Son of God. And, and now when we sing songs, I no longer want you to sing songs about Jesus. I would like you to sing songs about me. I would like you to worship me. If you have a problem in your life, I would like you to pray and ask for my divine help. Everyone, I hope, would be like, woohoo! John has lost it because people don't claim that kind of stuff. If you say that you have that kind of power, that kind of authority, then you are a crazy person. And that's what C.S. Lewis says, is that we can't just listen. If you just look at the teachings of Jesus, you would come away and say, that guy would be a lunatic because nobody would say things like that unless they actually were who they said they were. And the only way you could actually say that you are the Son of God is at some point you're going to have to prove it. And what Paul is going to say is that that's what the resurrection does, is the resurrection is the proof that Jesus was who he said he was. So therefore, if there's no resurrection, if that's all made up, then all the things Jesus said was junk. It was, it was bull. It was all made up. Uh, here's how Paul says it. He says, if Christ is not raised from the dead, our preaching is useless. I mean, what's the point? And so is your faith. If that didn't really happen, it's done. Uh, Paul also said this. He said, if Christ has not been raised, from the, been raised, then your faith is futile. Whole thing is made up. Uh, Paul said this. He says, if if he has not been raised from the dead, then you are still in your sins. All that stuff about Jesus saying he was going to forgive your sins, that can't be real. That's not true. I mean, a normal guy can't say that kind of stuff. And if he's not raised, then he's not God. And so that all must be made up too. And then those who have also fallen asleep in Christ are lost. Uh, And that's uh, Paul's way of saying people that have died, they're just dead. I mean, that's the reality that, as Craig was talking about earlier, we come to at Thanksgiving. Some of us are going to be sitting around tables and we're going to be thinking about people who used to be sitting at these tables, but they're not there anymore. And a lot of us would like to believe that they're in a better place now, that they're in heaven. And Paul says, if Jesus didn't actually raise from the dead, then you're believing a lie. That's not real. Heaven can't be real unless the person who talked about it actually was who he said he was, and he had the ability to beat death himself by resurrecting. Uh, Paul also said this. He said, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we of all people should be pitied. I mean, this is just giving us a little bit of like, you know, good mojo for how we're going to live our life now. But if it's all really just made up, I mean, other people should feel sorry for us. Someone should find us a book or a podcast to convince us otherwise because we're believing a lie. Uh, And Paul also said this. He said, as for us, I mean, talking about him specifically, because again, Paul, like he had put, I mean, talk about putting your whole weight behind a belief. Uh, Paul had a really good career track going. Uh, He was going to be rich. He was going to be famous, and he gave it all up to follow Jesus. And then he started traveling all over the world in really dangerous ways. And he was often beaten and whipped. And he had such a difficult life because of his faith in Jesus. 
And he said, and as for us, why do we endanger ourselves? Why am I doing all this every hour? I face death every day, yes. If that's all made up, why do I do that? Uh, Paul goes on. He says, if I fought wild beasts in Ephesus, which, just interesting side note uh, about this little verse. It, no one actually, no Bible scholars even really know what that's about. Like, we don't have a story about Paul fighting wild beasts, but I mean, that's just cool, isn't it? That, like, at some point in his life, like, Paul fought wild beasts, I guess, because of his faith in Jesus, which is cool. Uh, but if I did that, with no, no more than human hopes, you know, I can do this, then what have I gained? What's really the point of the whole thing? He said, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Uh, Paul says, like, maybe some of us think. If this whole thing is a sham, then let's, I mean, let's stop giving up our Sundays, waking up early and going to church. You know, let, let's stop giving money away to organizations and to poor people. And to, like, let, I should just use all that money for me. You know what I mean? Why, why am I like treating other people well? I mean, this is, I don't care what other people think about me. I mean, I, I should just be doing whatever is going to make me happy. You know, why am I living in moderation? You know, I should just drink myself silly and do whatever I can just to get through the day. I mean, if this whole thing is made up, then I should just be living a very different life. But if the whole thing is real, if the whole thing is true, then all of that is worth it. And so when I talk to my skeptic friends, that's one of the things that I tell them I think you should consider the claims of Christianity. And especially if you've never really researched it, if you've never really read it, you know, or if you just read one book and then you're like, okay, that book's going to make up my one mind. That's a bad way to make a decision. Or I watched one documentary and that convinced me. You need to do wide research on this to find out if it's really true. And here's why you should do it. It's because of the magnitude of the claim. Uh, here's what I mean by that. Uh, imagine that uh, you're in your house one evening and you hear some noise outside and it sounds like a helicopter and yeah, it's just getting closer and closer and closer uh, and pretty soon, like, I mean, it's just like deafeningly loud and you go to your door and you look out your window and there's a helicopter that's landing in the street right in front of your house and you're like, what is going on? And your neighbors uh, come out and everyone's looking and the helicopter lands and you see some guy get out and he's got like a fancy suit on and he comes to your door and he knocks on the door and he says, hey, are, are you John Hendrick? Yeah, I, I, I say, okay, here's who I am. Uh, I represent this eccentric billionaire that you've never heard of before. And he has picked you to give his entire fortune to. And so he gives you a packet of papers, says, here's all the information that you'll need. I need you to read through these. And then next Tuesday, I need you to drive to such and such law office in New York City. I need you to sign these papers. And then once you sign the papers, his billions of dollars is going to go directly to you. He hands you the paperwork, and he gets back in the helicopter, and he flies away. You would have questions. You would have doubts you would be a little bit skeptical because the whole thing seems, I mean, who, who, is a, who is a billionaire? How do they even find out about me? You know, what is going on? But I bet you would check it out because with something that big, it's not enough for us just to doubt that it is true. You better know that it's not true. Uh, you don't want to like tell your family over Thanksgiving, like, yeah, this crazy thing happened, this helicopter landed, but yeah, I didn't even check it out wasn't even worth it. 
You know, it's probably worth you driving down to New York City. It's probably worth you going to the law offices because at some point it's going to have to prove whether it is or not. I mean, at some point that money's going to be in your account or it's not going to go, but you would at least check it out because if it was true, it would really change everything. And so what convinced Paul and what convinced those people 2,000 years ago that it absolutely was real, enough to change their whole life around it? Uh, here's what Paul said. Here's what changed everything. As he said, he, meaning Jesus. Here's why I believed. Because Paul didn't believe. Uh, Paul actually, early on, was killing Christians. Uh, Paul was a, a, a Pharisee. He was kind of like the bad guys always in uh, the Gospels, if you read the stories about Jesus. He didn't believe. But here's what made him believe. He says that Jesus appeared to Cephas. And Cephas is another name for Peter. And, and Peter was someone that Paul knew. He had talked to. He'd had a conversation with. Uh, Peter was someone that early on in the book of Corinth that talks a lot about Peter. And so Peter might have actually been to Corinth. And so these people in Corinth would have known Peter who said he was an eyewitness of Jesus after he raised. But it wasn't just a Peter. He said, and then to the 12. So Jesus appeared to the 12. But it wasn't just them. He said, after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. This wasn't like, you know, like a couple people who saw this, you know, and now you got to like, just like take. There was over 500 people that say, hey, I saw him on the cross. We all know crucifixions. People don't survive that. And then later on, I'm telling you, I saw him alive. Uh, but it wasn't just them. It said most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Uh, as Paul was saying, these people are still alive. You could get on a boat right now. Maybe some of them had been to Corinth before, and you could talk to the physical eyewitnesses who saw Jesus alive. Uh, and it wasn't just them. So then he appeared to James, who was the brother of Jesus, which is pretty crazy, and then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also. Why was Paul so secure in his belief of who Jesus was. Why was it that Paul was so willing to fight wild animals and get on ships and change his whole life around? Uh, why were these people in Corinth so willing to give up their pagan temples and all the repercussions that would have come from like leaving you know, their family's belief system and changing the way that they were going to handle money? Why is it that they were so set on putting their stand on this new faith? is because they believed that it actually happened because they knew people. Or in Paul's case, he himself actually saw it with his own eyes. And so my challenge to anyone who is a skeptic, who is doubting, and anyone who maybe knows a skeptic or knows someone who's doubting, you need to spend some time researching this. You need to research why these eyewitnesses are found to be so credible amongst so many historical and philosophical debates across the, across the camp. And if you can convince me that it's all a hoax, you need to talk to me because I don't want to waste my time anymore doing this. But if it's all real, it changes the game. And it's especially true uh, for what we do each week when we celebrate uh, communion. And uh, we have communion here. If you're at your house, if you want to grab some juice or bread, we're going to take communion. But one of the things we say each week when we celebrate communion is that this represents the idea that Jesus forgave us of our sins. And that's a huge deal because a lot of us have things in our lives that we feel immeasurably guilty about. 
We have things that we feel a lot of shame about. We have things that we know that like need to be taken care of. But if Jesus is just some dude, some guy who said some nice things, he can't forgive our sins. He would need to prove it. Uh, and so one last story before we take communion. Uh, this is from the life of Jesus. Uh, Jesus, uh, while he was on earth, he was teaching one day. And it's kind of this amazing thing. Uh, he was in a room full of people, back when you could be in a room full of people. And uh, there were some friends who wanted to get their friend who was paralyzed. He couldn't walk to see Jesus. But they couldn't get into the room because it was so crowded. And so they went up on the roof and they dug a hole in the roof and they lowered this guy down. How crazy would that be? This guy's lowering down through the roof and he's right in front of Jesus. And this is uh, how Luke talks about it. So Jesus said, friend, looking at this guy who's laying in front of him, who's never walked before. This is a small town. Uh, most people would have known this guy. and They would have known he's never walked before. You know, this wasn't a hoax. Jesus said, friend, your sins are forgiven, which is good news. It was on. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? They knew. It just, you're interesting, Jesus. That's nice. You're a good teacher. You said some good things. But like, you can't say that kind of stuff. Only God can say that. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart? I, well, we're thinking these things because we think you're crazy. That's why. Uh, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven? Uh, or say, get up and walk. And they would say, well, that, that's easy. It, it's way easier to say your sins are forgiven. You don't have to prove that. Your, your sins are forgiven. Okay. It, does anyone know if it actually happened? You know, did anything happen? Uh, it's way harder to say, get up and walk. Like, you have to prove that. You have to show you have the power. You have to show that you have the authority. You need proof. Jesus said, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So this is what he did. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And immediately he stood up in front of them, and he took what he had been lying on, and he went home praising God. And then everyone, was amazed and they gave praise to God and they were filled with awe and said, we have seen, not we heard, not like someone inspired us, you know, not we just thought this was a good idea. You know, why do we believe that sins can be forgiven? Because we have seen remarkable things today. And we can have faith. That our sins are forgiven. We can have faith that heaven is real. We can have faith that Jesus, the way he told us to live, is actually the best way to live. Because eyewitnesses saw him rise from the dead. They saw his power and his authority. And that's why we believe. And that's why we remember. Uh, so let's take communion together. And let's remember that Jesus' body truly was broken on our behalf. Now let's take the juice to remember that his blood really was shed for our sins. Let's pray. 
Uh, Jesus, we thank you that we can put our faith and trust and lives in your hands. And we don't have to do it just based off of hope, but we can do it because we are putting our faith in eyewitness accounts that something happened 2,000 years ago. Something turned the world upside down. And that there are people, eyewitnesses, who said, we know exactly what happened. There was a guy who rose from the dead. And by the way, that guy claimed to be God. And if someone claims to be the Son of God and then can pull off their own resurrection, they might actually be right. We love you. Amen.